Hello and welcome back to Neely's Bend Baptist Church's Sermon Archive. I'm Pastor Austin, and this week's sermon we talk about biblical overseers. Every church must have a pastor, and a pastor is the one that oversees the church. However, the pastor must have certain qualities, qualifications about him. And so in this sermon from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, we see the different qualifications or qualities that an overseer or pastor or elder, um, those three terms are the same, should display in their lives. Thanks for listening, and if you ever have any questions, please reach out to us at mbbc at neelysbenbaptist.org. We hope you have a blessed week. Every year, each of the major sporting teams or sporting sports in America have a draft. The NFL has a draft. Major League Baseball has a draft. National Hockey League has a draft. Women's National Basketball Association has a draft. All these sporting, major sporting teams, they all come together and they have a draft. And in this draft, they select athletes. And what happens prior to all these drafts is these professional teams, these professional associations, will go out and scout these players. They will scout them and they will give them ratings. And they will determine whether they have good qualities, good qualifications with them. Do they fit this role? Do they not fit this role? Is this what we are looking for? Some of these qualities are actually dependent on what position one plays. A quarterback is not going to be rated in the same way that a middle linebacker is going to be rated. A baseball pitcher is not going to be rated the same way that an outfielder would be rated. And so there's different ways, different qualities, different qualifications that each of these positions require. Something similar can be said about a company whenever they go to hire an employee. The company has certain qualities, certain skills that they are looking for in an employee for their certain position that they are hiring for. And they will hire the person that is most qualified. In the church, there are two offices, two positions that have been established. And both positions are recognized here in First Chapter, First Timothy chapter 3 by Paul. And that is the office of overseer, pastor, and deacon. Two offices, overseer and deacon. I made that sound like three offices, but overseer and pastor, same thing. So overseer, deacon. And these offices are specific offices that only specific people can have. Namely, people who are qualified. People who exhibit these qualities that are laid out here in chapter 3. Now, it's important to recognize something here because I'm afraid that a lot of times we tend to take chapter 3 of 1 Timothy and we set it aside and we don't look at it within the context of the whole book. Who remembers what was happening in chapter 1? In chapter 1, there was false teachers. And these false teachers were not teaching correctly. They were teaching of the law instead of Jesus. And then also, you see Paul gives his testimony and how his testimony was all about Jesus. So we see that some of these false teachers were more than likely not all about Jesus. In some ways, they was not displaying godly characteristics. In chapter 2, you're able to see that there was different quarreling, that there was 
praying in wrong ways and that women were aspiring for different offices that they wasn't supposed to be aspiring for. And so what we see here is that the Ephesian church likely had people in positions that were not supposed to be in those positions. They were not qualified to be in those positions. And it's likely that there were people aspiring for the position that they should not have been. Last week, as we discussed, women are not to teach and exercise authority over men. And it's likely that the wealthy women of Ephesus were aspiring for that role. Which is why, here in chapter 3, Paul gives us qualifications. He gives us qualities that overseers and deacons are to display in their lives before becoming an overseer or a deacon. And even after becoming an overseer or a deacon, they should live this way. And so the flow here in these first three chapters is that Paul is emphasizing heavily that leadership in the church matters. And it is crucial that the church have biblical leaders in the two offices that are established. For us as a church, for us to be a biblically healthy church, to be a biblical qualified, or we must have biblically qualified overseers and deacons. And if we settle on anything less than biblically qualified, then we run risk of letting false teachers enter our church. So for our sermon today, we're going to focus specifically on overseers. And just in case you don't know the terms, there's different terms that relate to the office of overseer. So you have the term overseer, you have the term shepherd, you have the term elder, and you have the term pastor. All four of these terms relate to one position, and that is the position of overseer. It's all the same thing. If you look throughout Scripture, you all see them related to the same office. To kind of give you a brief definition to help you kind of understand where I'm going with this, is an overseer is someone who exercises oversight. An elder is one who leads the church. A shepherd is one who leads, feeds, and protects the flock. And the word pastor is a Latin word that actually originates from the word shepherd. So to be a a pastor is to be a shepherd. So as you can see, these four words refer to the same office. So if you hear me ever say, overseer, elder, shepherd, pastor, know that I'm referring to the same office, the same position. But along with now understanding all three and kind of have a definition for them, it helps us to understand the function and the role of the pastor. The man or men who serve in this role are those who teach and exercise authority in the church by leading, feeding, and protecting the church. The ultimate responsibilities of overseers is to lead, to feed, and to protect. And this is something that is very distinct from the role of deacons. As deacons are to be servants of the church, servants to the church, which we will discuss more next week. But for today, we're going to focus on qualifications for elders. The qualities that, excuse me, for overseers, elders, same thing, the qualities that overseers should be displaying in their lives. And while, yes, these are qualities, it's not necessarily the qualities that matter. It's the character of the man. It's the character that matters. And so the focus 
on if one is qualified to lead as an overseer is dependent on his character. And so, here we go in our sermon. Make sure this works. We're going to see four requirements for biblical overseers. Four requirements for biblical overseers. And so we're going to begin, verse 1, the first requirement for a biblical overseer is that there must be an aspiration for the office. A godly aspiration for the office. If you look in verse 1 here, Paul says, so Paul says in verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. He desires a noble task. As I stated earlier, the Ephesian church was more than likely dealing with a lot of issues and concerns with people wanting to lead in the church. They had false teachers and they had women who were using their influence to gain authority. So Paul says that this is a trustworthy saying. A trustworthy saying. This is actually the second trustworthy saying of three in the whole book of 1 Timothy. If I'm correct, I think there's five or six that are total throughout all the pastoral epistles. But there's three in 1 Timothy, and this is the second one. And Paul is making the point that the office, or serving in the office of overseer, is a noble task. Now, I want to ask you this question. Has anything noble ever been easy to accomplish or do? Absolutely not. It's not. It's a very hard thing. So for something to be noble, for someone to do something that is noble, it is not something that comes with ease. It is a very challenging thing to do. However, being an overseer is considered a noble thing. It is an honorable place to serve within the church. But because it is a noble and honorable position, it requires godly aspiration. Paul says, if anyone aspires for the office of overseer, if anyone aspires, this word aspires here is really a word that simply means desire. If anyone desires this position, many of you have aspired for things in your life. For me, I had the aspiration to be a major league baseball player. Don't most of us have an aspiration for a professional sport or something like that? But for me, that was it. I wanted to play major league baseball. I practiced I played a lot of baseball. I put a lot of work in. I didn't make it, obviously. But for the role of overseer, this aspiration is much different than that of a professional baseball player. The way in which one should aspire for the office of overseer is one in which it is in a godly manner. Remember the people of the Ephesian church. There were people within the church that was aspiring to the office that was not and should not have been aspiring for the office. False teachers, wealthy women, they were not supposed to be there. They should not have been aspiring for that office. They were ungodly aspirations. And I firmly believe that if one has an aspiration for the office of overseer, then it first ultimately comes from God. It has to. I firmly believe that if one is aspiring for an office or overseer, they first have to been, have been called by God. These people will receive a gifting from God to serve in this role. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul is writing on the spiritual gifts that believers are given. And one of those gifts that is given is the 
gift of shepherd teacher. It's because of this gifting that one should aspire to be an overseer. And it must be a godly aspiration because far too often people seek the position for power, they seek it for greed, they seek it for their own purpose, their own personal gain. If someone is aspiring for the office of pastor, it must be a godly aspiration. Serving the Lord by being a servant leader for the church. However, just because one is, says they're called or believes they're called or someone aspires for the office of overseer, it doesn't mean that we just let them into that role, does it? We don't just let them, oh, I feel like I'm, the Lord's called me to be an overseer, therefore I should be an overseer. We don't just let them be in that role because it depends on their character. If you look at the next few verses here, and we're going to get there eventually, but Paul understands that. He understands this because it is the exact reason why he lists all these qualifications of a godly leader who has godly character. So I say that, and there must be godly aspiration for those who seek the office of overseer. That is the, the first requirement that we see here in verse 1. The second requirement is that they are to be able to teach. And so I'm going to kind of break these down a little bit. The second requirement is they are to be able to teach. Able to teach. So if you look at chapter 3, verse 2, at the very, very end of verse 2, it says they should be able to teach. I think I have it here. You know, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. And so we're going to come back to all those others, but for now we're going to start with able to teach because this is something that separates overseers from deacons. The primary role of the pastor is one of shepherding the flock in way of teaching. How can the sheep the church be fed if the pastor is not able to teach. Therefore, for a person to serve in the office of overseer, the said man must, he must be able to teach. Now, I want to be clear here. It doesn't mean that this person has to be the greatest preacher in the world. He doesn't have to be a Charles Spurgeon. He doesn't have to be some other famous preacher that you know of. It doesn't mean that. It just means that he has to be able to teach. Paul places the more, if you really look at the passages in its entirety, Paul places more emphasis on the character of the man than the actual skill of teaching. There's 13 qualifications here. Or excuse me, there's 14 total qualifications. 13 of those relate to the man's character. One of those relates to the skill of teaching. The emphasis of the whole passage is on his character and his godly life, much more so than it is his teaching and his ability to teach. But the point is that they are able to teach, that they can teach. So I ask you, what is preaching? Whenever I preach, what ultimately am I doing? I'm teaching you. I'm teaching you. And so when I'm preaching, it is a form of teaching. So it is possible for a man who can teach, but not necessarily preach, to serve as an overseer. 
because the requirement is that they are able to teach. And this specific qualification of being able to teach is also one that is only specific to overseers, not deacons. If you look at the qualifications of deacon, as we will see next week, it never requires a deacon to teach or to be able to teach. Now, I also want to be clear that being able to teach is clearly a significant qualification, and here's why. In Titus 1, verses 5 through 9, it is made clear that an elder must hold firm to the Word and teach sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. So the teaching qualification is one in which they are able to teach, but also one in which they are teaching only God's Word, only sound doctrine, and rebuke those who contradict it. Teaching matters for an overseer. They must be able to teach. Because if they can't teach, how will they ever be able to feed the flock? The third point, the third requirement that we have here is that they must have godly character. Godly character. And as I stated earlier, and we're going to read through these, there's 14 qualifications from verse 2 all the way to verse 7. And so I want you to see that the focus is on godly character here. So as we read through this, just um, kind of read along with me here. So beginning in verse 2, it says, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Oh, I went one too far. Verse 3, not a drunkard, and a violent, or excuse me, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household will with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must also not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. I think that's the last one there. As we kind of go back through here, we're going to go... Just kind of walk back through these, starting with verse 2. So we're going to start with verse 2 here, but we're just going to go back through these. And so verse 2 through 7 includes a total of 14 qualifications. One of them we just discussed was able to teach. The last one we will discuss separately as well. But of the 14, seven of them are positive traits and four of them are negative traits. And the final three are just stipulations regarding family, Christian maturity, and outsiders. So here we are with 14 points to kind of walk through. And you're probably wondering what time are we going to get out of here. And I'm wondering that too. So we're going to kind of move a little quickly through here. So I'm going to be up front. These are going to be very brief explanations. There's so much more that can be said about every one of these qualifications. So much more. So we're just going to briefly go through these. The first qualification is that an overseer must be above reproach. Above reproach. This qualification makes a lot of sense in light of the nature of the office. If being an office, excuse me, if being an overseer is a noble task, an honorable position, then the man who leads in that role must certainly be above reproach. But what does it mean to be above reproach? What does it mean for a man to live above reproach? Well, I believe that to be above reproach is to be a man of integrity, 
a man who lives in such a way that no charge can ever be brought against him. To be above reproach is ultimately to be holy as God is holy. To be above reproach is to be as godly as one can be. To be above reproach is to have godly character, to be a mature Christian. In many ways, being above reproach serves as an umbrella for all the qualifications listed below. If one is above reproach, then they will have all of the following qualities that Paul lists here. The next positive positive quality is the man must be the husband of one wife. The husband of one wife. Last week in our passage, we saw that a woman is not to teach or exercise authority over a man. And we determined that a person who teaches and exercises authority is a pastor. So Paul continues the idea that only a man can serve in the office by stating that he must be the husband of one wife. And to be a husband is to be a man, no matter what society may say these days. To be a husband is to be a man. This ultimately means that the office of overseer is reserved only for men. This is the God-ordained way. But what does it mean for the, to be husband of one wife? This is a question that many people have debated for hundreds of years because the answer really isn't super clear. So for this time period, it was possible that some men would have a wife and then also have concubines. And what I mean by concubines is just a bunch of women that also stayed in their house, and the husband would sleep with all of them. So he was having or committing sexual immorality with his wife, his one wife. Therefore, this man was not being a one-woman man. He was being a multiple-women man. And that is not biblical. That is not biblical. The phrase husband of one man literally means one-woman man. So Paul is stating that an overseer must be a one-woman man. Essentially, the focus is on marital faithfulness. This man is to have a faithful marriage in which he is faithful only to his one wife. Now, the question is this. I'm sure many of you are probably wondering this as well. Does this mean that a man who has been divorced and remarried can serve as a pastor? Does one woman man mean for life or at a time? What a man, man who has lost his wife and has remarried. Well, the expectation from God's word is that a marriage is to last until death do them part. In that case, if a man has lost his wife and has remarried, I believe that he has remained a one woman man. I believe it is a biblical marriage. However, the Bible also allows for biblical divorces. And there are three instances in which one can biblically divorce. It is when there are, is an act of sexual immorality, an act of abandonment in which the unbelieving spouse leaves the believing spouse, and one of physical abuse. These three instances are the only biblical reasons one can divorce. And if one has a biblical divorce, then they can biblically remarry. So because the Bible does allow biblical divorces and biblical remarriages, I would say that as long as the divorce was biblical and the remarriage was biblical, and it has been a faithful marriage, then he can be considered 
as a qualified elder or overseer. However, however, the Bible's main goal is one marriage for life. So I believe that the precedent should always be given first to the one who has been married once to one wife and second to the one who has had a biblical divorce and biblical remarriage. Again, the focus here is a faithful marriage. Faithful marriage to one woman. The next positive qualification is sober-minded. Some translations may translate this as temperate or sensible. The man should be a sober mind and that he is calm, he's relaxed, he's temperate. He is a cool-headed person, not a hot-headed person. I imagine that this person is kind of a laid-back man who doesn't really get super hot or super cold in their attitude. He's just a person that is well-restrained. Kind of move quickly here. The next one is self-controlled. This man should be a man who is self-control. If he can't control his attitude or his heart or his mind or anything else about him, then how is he going to be, how is he going to be in control of his life? If he can't control those things, then he's going to be out of control with his life. So self-control is also a fruit of the Spirit that is listed in Galatians. Being able to control oneself helps the pastor, or helps the pastor from creating divisions, creating arguments within the church. Having self-control is also a way in which he can combat sin. If he can't control himself, he is much more likely to act in sinful ways. Self-control matters. The next one is being respectable. He must be respectable. If one is not a respectable person, it is likely that people from the, within the church are not going to respect him. Do you agree with that? Most of the time you don't respect someone who is disrespectful. Probably. So, excuse me. Therefore, the man must live in a way in which his outward display of himself is respectable and that it is in line with his self-controlled heart. Therefore, being a respectable person is being a person that respects the opinion of others. It means valuing others. It means caring about others. It means ultimately being respectable. The next one on the list is hospitable. Just kind of briefly go through these. Hospitality is important for an overseer. If he can't be hospitable, how is he going to be able to counsel and care for those who he shepherds over him? If he doesn't care about the hearts of the people, how will he be hospitable in a way that can gently teach and counsel those in his congregation? Being hospitable is also something that Jesus did, that Jesus was. Jesus, the good shepherd, invited many people to, that, to, to, to dine with him. Being hospitable is a way in which the overseer shepherds over his congregation. Now we're going to go to the next four traits. So we talked about able to teach already. So the next four traits are negative traits. These are negative traits. The first of the four negative traits is that the overseer is not to be a drunkard. Not to be a drunkard. Not being a drunkard also kind of goes in line with a person who is sober-minded and self-controlled. Because if a person is self-controlled and sober-minded, that ultimately means that if they ever had alcohol they would not get drunk. Now, I'm sure that many of you are probably thinking, isn't it a sin to consume alcohol? Well, interestingly enough, you won't ever find that in the Bible. 
The only thing that the Bible ever condemns in regards to alcohol is not to be a drunkard. As a matter of fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, Paul prescribes a little bit of wine to Timothy. Now, I want to say this. While the Bible does not condemn alcohol for believers, and here in this passage, overseers, I don't believe that the consumption of alcohol is wise for believers or anybody else for that matter. And there are multiple, multiple reasons for this, as many of you probably have for yourselves. But for pastors, one reason why is this. What happens when a member calls with a tragedy and the pastor has just had a glass of wine? The pastor would not be able to tend to the needs of the congregation. And because of this, I don't believe it is wise for pastors to consume alcohol. And just so you know, as your pastor, I want to always be readily available for serve and care for you and be there for you when tragedy happens, when anything else happens, which means that as your pastor, I will refrain from the consumption of alcohol or any other drug for that matter in order to serve you as the leader that God has called me to be here at Neely's Bend Baptist Church. The second negative trait is not to be violent. Overseers are to be gentle men, not violent men. A violent man is one who is a fighter, one who is a bully. If a man is acting as a bully, acting as a violent fighter, then they are not fit for the office of overseer. An overseer is expected to have a gentleness about himself. He is to be gentle in how he responds and handles situations. He is to be gentle in his leadership. The word gentle here can actually also be understood as gracious, a gracious person, a man who has a gracious heart rather than a violent heart. The overseer should be a gentle giant. The third negative trait is not to be quarrelsome. We talked a little bit about this word last week, about how men are not to pray in anger or quarreling. We discussed how quarreling is often argumentative. This term can also be described as someone who bickers a lot. Therefore, the heart of an overseer should not be someone that seeks to be argumentative. If their goal is always to be argumentative, then they're not fit to be an overseer. The fourth negative trait is not to be a lover of money, greed. Greed is a very serious sin. 1 Timothy 6.10 6, states, The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Greed leads to evil hearts, evil desires, evil aspirations. Greed can cause one's motivation for the church to not be a biblical motivation, but a man-centered motivation. Therefore, an overseer must not be a lover of money. Now, I want to be clear here. It does not say that a pastor cannot have money or a lot of money because the Bible clearly calls every one of us to steward what the Lord has given us. It is entirely okay if a pastor has accrued wealth. However, they must not accrue this wealth out of love for the money. Now, Paul moves into a few stipulations. The first stipulation is that he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children's submissiveness. 
For if someone does not have or know how to manage his household, how can he care for God's church? The key word in this passage is manage. Manage his own household. Then he can manage and care for God's church. The Greek word manage here should be understood as lead, as governing. The husband should be a man who leads and governs his family well. And when I say this, it is not that he leads, in a, leads his family in a way of dictatorship or autocratically, but rather he leads in a way that cares and protects his family. If a man is leading his family well here is what is going to happen. His wife is going to respect him and his kids are going to live in submission to him. His leadership drives them to respect him and to follow him. It is because of his care and gentle leadership. It is because of the way in which he seeks to protect his family that they will follow him. An overseer ultimately must be a servant leader as Christ was a servant leader. The second stipulation here in verse 6 is that he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. A recent convert is still new to learning God's word, learning the things of the Bible, learning the things of Christianity, learning how to be a disciple of Jesus. He's still developing in his sanctification and even developing in his walk with Christ. It makes sense that Paul makes this qualification because if you happen to place a new convert in the office of overseer, it can lead to them becoming prideful. And pride is a place one should never be. Never be. The devil wants you there. He wants you to be prideful. And he's going to use that pride to bring an overseer down. Must not be a recent convert. So this concludes 13 of the 14 qualifications that Paul has listed here. An overseer must be above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well and not be a recent convert. The fourth requirement is this. He must be reputable in public. Reputable in public. Well thought of in public. Verse 7 says, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. If a pastor is not a reputable person, a person that is well thought of by people outside the church, then why would they want to be a part of said church he's pastoring at? If a pastor is not well thought of by outsiders, it not only affects him, but it also affects the church. The reputation of a man who is an overseer must be tried and known by all people. If a pastor is not well thought of by outsiders, people who are unbelievers then we should really be questioning whether he is a believer or not. If outsiders, unbelievers, don't see him as well thought of, then it's likely that no one on the inside is going to think well of him either. A pastor's reputation matters to himself, to God, and the church. 
So that concludes all of our 14 qualifications, qualities that's listed there. And so as we go through this, kind of briefly go back, there must be a godly aspiration. They must be able to teach. They must have godly character. And they must be reputable in the public eye. And I've got to be honest, I feel like we just sprinted through all of these qualities, all of these qualifications. And as I said earlier, we could probably spend multiple weeks or a few different weeks discussing each one of these. And I don't think that that point, or at this point, that that is necessary for all of this. So even though each quality was briefly highlighted, there's much, much more that can be said. Now I want to state this. These qualities here, these listed, these things that are, these characteristics that are listed here, while they are characteristics that an overseer must have, these are characteristics that every single one of us in this room should have, should be displaying. Every single one of us in this room should be living lives that are above reproach, faithful in marriage, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. We should not be drunkards. We should not be violent, but be gentle people, not quarrelsome and not greedy. We should all be leaders and managers of our houses, of our households. We should all be well thought of by outsiders. And ultimately, we should all be maturing in our faith. This is the life that Christians should be living. Do we always 100% live that way? We don't. Because the reality is, while we are saints, while we are believers, we still sin. Sin still happens. So with that said, this means that grace and mercy should be extended to all people, all believers when they mess up, even those in leadership positions in the church. Because the reality is, even pastors sin. And that sounds terrible to say, doesn't it? Sounds terrible to hear. But I am just a human being. I am not Jesus. I am not God. I still have the opportunity to make mistakes. So even pastors, we should be gracious with. We should be give, extend mercy to. Because the Lord is still sanctifying them daily. However, if there's never any repentance and the pastor continues to live a life that is not above reproach, then he should be removed. Because at that point, he is no longer upholding the qualities required. And with that said, I want to personally ask every one of you to always be praying for me. Always be praying for me. Because as your pastor, and especially as the pastor in the season of our church that we're in, in a revitalization, in a sense that we are trying to reclaim glory in this church, Satan does not want that to happen. Satan does not want glory be, to be given to God. So I covet your prayers. I long for your prayers. I ask you to pray for me as much as you can. In way of application, and asking how we can live this out, because that's what we have to ask every time, is, and as I stated a moment ago, this passage is specific to overseers, but it ultimately includes how every one of us should live our lives. And when we live by these qualities, we are actually living very much like Jesus. Because Jesus displayed every single one of these qualities. Therefore, we must live this out by being imitators of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul writes, 
Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Church, let's be a people that imitates Christ. Because the more we imitate Him, the more we will live like Him, the more we will exude a godly character and live a godly life. If you are here today and you're thinking, man, I don't know if I've ever really displayed any of these characters that's listed here. I don't know if I've ever really imitated Jesus the way that the Bible calls me to. It's probably because you don't believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so I just wanted to ask you and tell you about Jesus and how He can save you. Believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. Believe that He lived a perfect life. Believe that He was sinless. He made no mistakes. Believe that He died on a cross in way of sacrificing His life for your sin so you can repent of your sin. Believe that He rose again on the third day so that He can save your soul. And all you have to do is believe in Jesus. Believe in the works of Christ. Repent of your sin. Trust in Him as Lord and Savior. And He will save you. He will save you. If that is you, if that is you, I would love to have a conversation with you. Here in a moment, afterwards at the back, sometime this week, any other time, please give me a call and let's talk about this. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we just praise you this morning for your goodness, for your mercy, for your kindness, Lord. Lord, I just praise you for this passage and how you've given it to Paul to write and for us to have here, Lord, so that we can see the biblical qualifications, the biblical qualities that overseers should have in their lives. And so, Lord, I just want to pray that for myself, that I'll uphold all of these, Lord. And Lord, for our people here, I pray that we all collectively are displaying these characters that are characteristics that are listed in this passage, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray also that we be imitators of you, always in our lives, always looking to be like you. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that today is the day that the day is the day that they believe in you as Lord and Savior. They give their life to you. They trust in you as Lord and Savior. And you change their hearts, Lord. Lord, we praise you for all you've done here. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.